You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee. You will hear Jonathan Havercroft later, but right now it's just me. Uh, I'll explain that uh, here in a little bit and also explain why you haven't heard from us in a while. Uh, Mostly it's just uh, life. But yeah, we uh, we have not talked to you in a little bit. We have had this show recorded for a while, and it just hasn't um, it just hasn't made its way out. But with the Pan Continental Curling Championships coming up, which hopefully we will see a team from Jamaica take the ice for the first time in the women's B division at the Pan Continental Championships, uh, we do have a couple of interviews with people from the Jamaican Curling Federation to talk to you about. The founding of that organization and what its future holds. Unfortunately, the two members we talked to were from the men's team, and it looks like their participation at the PanCon has kind of uh, fallen by the wayside. So unfortunately, we won't see them on the ice. We will see the Jamaican women, but this is an important story. It also includes probably one of the m- most enjoyable interviews I've done with Hassani Blaze, and we will talk to him here in just a minute. And uh, it, and it's an important story. It's important that these organizations, these new federations, are going to get on the ice. You're going to see the Philippines at the Pan Continental Championships. You're once again going to see teams from Kenya and India and Brazil take the ice in these in this Continental Championship. And this is important. It's important to grow the sport. And regardless of what the line scores look like. It's a victory that they're on the ice right now. You know, I think if you look back 20, 30 years, you'd see a lot of lopsided line scores for Korea and Japan when they made the international stage and look at them now. And I don't think anyone could point to the involvement of Korea and Japan in curling and say that it's a negative. So it's important that we get these federations on the ice, get them experience and help them grow so that they can be successful and so that they can change the face of curling. So excited to see Jamaica on the ice coming up at the PanCon. Also wanted to talk to you a little bit about why you haven't heard from us in a while. Uh, The easy one is Jonathan. He's actually curling, so he's busy. He's uh, preparing to represent England at the European Bees coming up here uh, here later. To, To see him from afar as a friend of his to see him put in the work that he's done to become champion of England and get to represent England at the Euros. Uh, I'm incredibly proud of him. I'm excited for him and I'm pumped to hopefully be able to see a couple of games. Uh, I would actually pay for recast if, if there are some England games on that, on that feed so really pumped to see him. They are busy at work preparing for this event. Uh, I've been trying to leave him alone. I don't even text Jonathan that often these days as he's preparing to, to play for England at the Eurobees. I did text him the other day when England lost at the Cricket World Cup because that was objectively hilarious. Uh, so I had to needle him a little bit there. But, you know, he's... He's been a friend of mine for a while, and I I just couldn't be more excited for him and for for his team. I know how much work they've been putting in to prepare for it, and hopefully, we can see the fruits of their labor, and uh, hopefully, hopefully see England promoted to the A's at the at the Euros coming up. As for me, uh, life has kind of gotten in the way. You know, I've got uh, I've got two kids now. I've kind of been very intentional about trying to, to spend time with family. You know, you get, you get the kids to bed any, anywhere between eight to eight thirty PM. And that doesn't leave a whole lot of time to yourself. And it's just, 
you know, you pick and choose what, what you do. And, uh, I've been choosing to, to spend time with family. Uh, it does take a while to edit these, edit these podcasts sometimes, uh, and put them together, but it doesn't mean that this podcast is dying and we're definitely not going to Irish goodbye you. Uh, you definitely just won't see us stop posting. That would not be the end of this podcast. We would definitely tell you if we were if we were calling it quits, but I don't think we will. You know, Jonathan, as I have said many, many times on this podcast, Jonathan is old. Uh, so his competitive curling days are coming to an end. And when that happens, he'll have more time for this show. And eventually these kids are going to be old enough that they'll actually um, be able to play with each other and not need me. Um, and so I'll have more time for this show. But uh, right now I'm really enjoying spending time, spending time with those guys, spending time with, with my wife, Erin. Um, and so haven't been putting as much time into the podcast uh, as I should have, as you all deserve. Uh, also work's been really busy. So between those two things, just at the end of the day, uh, you know, having to choose between going upstairs and editing a podcast for two hours or watching a few episodes of Ted Lasso with Aaron, I've kind of been choosing the latter um, and unfortunately, you know, you, you guys are the ones who I won't say suffered. You've probably enjoyed the break from us, but we're back. We're excited to tell the story of Jamaica curling with Ian Robertson and Hassani Blaze. You get to listen to those two interviews and then good luck to Jamaica coming up at the Pan Continental Championships. And of course, good luck to Jonathan uh, at the Euros. So enjoy the curling. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. I'll definitely, I'll definitely meet up with Jonathan, and we'll record something to kind of, um, to kind of debrief the Euros. I definitely want to hear his his experiences there, and we'll we'll share that with you. So, until then, enjoy this episode all about the Jamaican Curling Federation. We are joined today by Ian Robertson from Curling Jamaica. Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, and to talk about Curling Jamaica. Thanks. Yeah, we're excited to learn about the organization. Uh, but the the first question is the one we asked each of our guests any uh, anytime we have someone on, and it is it's a pretty simple one. Uh, where are you from, and what was it like growing up there? Um, it's yeah, pretty straightforward. So I was uh, born and raised in Thornhill, which is a little town. Well, it's not so little anymore, but just north of Toronto, uh, right up Young Street, which I think might still be the longest street in the world. And uh, so I was raised in Thornhill. So growing up there was lots of kids to play with. And as it turned out, the curling club was right over the back fence. Oh, wow. So at, at what point did you uh, go over the fence and uh, start throwing curling rocks? Yeah, so um, I suppose at that point, so none of my friends we curled. It was a family uh, situation. So our family had been members at this club, which had golf and tennis and various other things. So I think to probably keep me out of trouble, I, they put me in tennis when I was about 10. And you weren't allowed to start curling until you were 13. So I had old have older siblings that were all already curling so I had to wait until I was 13 so I'd go over when I was 12 and I would sit on the backboard and I would just kind of push the rocks out and set them up couldn't step on the ice so it was uh it was tough for that final year and then when I turned 13 uh, we were probably on the ice every day after school walking by the uh, country club so it was Thornhill Country Club walking by there and just out throwing rocks constantly so, so what made you, you know, chomping at the bit basically to get started? Was it just watching your family members or like watching it on TV? What was it that made you just so excited to get out there? So, or, or was it the fact that you couldn't <laughs> until you were 13? <laughs> well, for me, I, I was always a uh, super competitive sports kid growing up. So I uh, we used to play road hockey all the time. And so hockey was pretty prominent, uh, obviously living in Canada. And uh, so curling, like I said, was kind of a family thing, but um, I used to do a lot of track and field as well. So as a kid, I love sports and I always watch the Olympics, every event, every sport. And uh, so once I realized I was probably right around the same time, I was about 13, I realized I wasn't going to make it to the Olympics for the 100 meters. 
So I thought, okay, I need a backup plan. So sure enough, I just started curling. So the thought process was, you know, I'd love to go to the Olympics for curling. Obviously, Canada is crazy hard to try and get out of. So the joke was, I used to joke with my friends, you know what, I'm just going to start a Jamaican curling team. And, you know, I'll go down, I'll get three guys and we'll, we'll, uh, away we go. And they're laughing. Well, you know, obviously you don't curl in Jamaica. So it was a pipe dream to say the least. But for me, curling was uh, just being competitive. I, I played tennis as well, but we never got to that top level where I knew I was going anywhere with it. Curling with all the practice, I managed to get better quickly. And we had a bunch of friends, so we all kind of went through at the same time. So that's, that's how that sort of started. So what was, your, what was your junior career and your younger career like? Like how, how far were you able to progress? So we were, like I said, with so with the core of uh, young guys that all came through at the same time. Um, by the time we were fifteen, we made our school provincial and uh, finished fourth in Ontario. There was a couple of older guys in the team, and two of us were fifteen at the time. And then uh, I think by the time we were seventeen in high school, we lost the final of the Ontario school curling and ended up winning the Ontario juniors. So we, we finished fourth in Canada in 1984. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then went to college uh, a couple years later, finished fourth in Canada for college curling as well. So that uh, that sort of springboarded myself into the uh, adult ranks in the late 80s. Well, you had two things happen there in 88 that kind of connect here. One was curling is a demonstration sport there in Calgary, but that was also the year of the Jamaican bobsled team. And you said that you joked about starting the Jamaican curling team. Uh, well, then you went and did it. So can you kind of give us the backstory on how this all happened? Yeah. So, it, so Ben, the, uh, the founder and, and uh, first president of curling Jamaica, he, in 2020 during COVID, uh, I think as the story goes, he decided, um, he got into the sport, I don't know, probably 12 years ago, but he had the passion to start a Jamaican curling team. So he knew sort of the ins and outs of the legal side of it. And um, he was able to get it incorporated and get the blessing of the uh, Jamaican Olympic Association. And obviously we're now in the World Curling Federation as the 67th country. So he was the one that pioneered all of that and got that started. Uh, for me, it was just through uh, an article in the Toronto Star um, advertising Jamaica has a curling team. And, and I thought this is it's probably a April Fool's joke or something. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think I emailed him and just said, is this for real? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I got a team. You know, have you ever curled before? I said, yeah, I've played once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's, that's how I got started. So I think at that point he had mentioned to me, I might've been the eighth or ninth person on the team. So a lot of it was, um, um, there was, yeah, I guess himself and then Andrew and Christine came on early in and then people have sort of been coming in over the, uh, the last couple of years, well, three years now. So how, how do you have eligibility for, to curl for Jamaica? My uh, dad was born there, grandfather and great grandfather. Oh, cool! So they would have emigrated from Scotland, I don't know, probably in late eighteen hundreds. And uh, so, growing up, there was always a Jamaican component um, in the house. And and actually, uh, this past weekend, we just had a memorial for an aunt of mine, ninety nine. She just passed away, but it was all Jamaican themed. So the entire family was there. Jamaican flags and so it was uh, Jamaican food and music. So a lot, lots of fun. So what events are Jamaica going to be entering? Uh, so is this, this upcoming season will be Jamaica's first time competing in WCF events. Is that correct? Or have they already competed in one? Um, yes, that, that's correct. So we, we were um, accepted into the world curling federation, September of 2022. And we were, waffling as to whether we were going to go to the mixed last October and we ended up deciding not to. So the very first time Jamaica steps onto the world curling stage will be with the women's team at the Pan Continentals in October. And um, 
I'll be playing mixed doubles uh, in December at the pre-qualifier for the mixed doubles. How many curlers are there in your federation at the moment? Currently, we have 16, so nine women and seven men. And is it like mostly Toronto-based, or do you pull in from a whole bunch of other areas in North America? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we would mostly be in the yeah, greater Toronto area. I, I mean, I'm about an hour west of Toronto and Hamilton. Um, yeah, quite a few are in and around Toronto. Uh, one in Thunder Bay, one in Scotland, three right now in the U.S. Are you, are you trying to recruit and how much challenge have you had in terms of trying to recruit members for the Federation? It's yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, um, I guess, uh, jury recruiting. I mean, essentially everybody who's part of this, either we have a few that are brand new, so they heard about curling and, and wanted to try it and have joined. But, um, yeah, the, the, the idea I sent you, I, I guess, the the pipe dream would be, well, I don't know if it's a pipe dream, but the dream would be to take, you know, four people that have never stepped foot on the ice. I go down to Jamaica, get four people and train them and just develop them and bring them along where they go and win a gold medal in the Olympics. That's, that's the dream. So, um, how do you do that? It's, we're in the midst of, um, we, we do have a program that's in place where uh, we would bring up uh, four um, young athletes four actually eight. So four boys, four girls, say under 18 and uh, Christine, who's up in Thunder Bay, she has all the coaching building in place. So the, these kids would stay with families for the school year, for example, and would be able to, uh, to train, learn curling, uh, get an education, you know, be able to go to school and whatnot uh, for the, the six months. So, the, but the goal is funding and getting that to where, um, you know, we can obviously pay for, for all these kids to come up. But I think if we can, because it, it, it's so hard to obviously develop curling in Jamaica just because there's no ice and, and probably there may not ever be ice just because of the cost of running a facility. So, if we're able to bring them to whether it's Canada or the U.S. or the U.K. to uh, train and, and develop young players for the future, that's that's the goal. Yeah, I assume it would be cheaper to bring eight people from Jamaica to Atlanta, New York, Toronto than it would be to build a building curl build a curling facility in Jamaica. For sure, for sure. I I had read uh, there, there's actually the hockey team's really good. And, uh, hmm. but they're not, because there's no dedicated ice, they won't let them play internationally. Whereas curling, it's, we're, we're allowed to play. But I mean, I suppose the dream would be, I mean, you, you can kind of incorporate everything into one and have your, maybe your figure skating, your hockey, um, and, and curling all in the same venue, which then would cut down on costs in that sense. But again, somebody would still have to come to the plate with uh, you know, a whole bunch of money to, to make that happen. And, and I think they have looked at uh, some other warm weather countries. Uh, I think Dubai maybe it has this type of facility. And, and uh, so I think they have looked at it, but I don't know too much beyond that. And in, in the meantime, and this has been the way with a lot of up and coming countries in the WCF is you're looking for people with eligibility who, you know, are already curling somewhere where there is, where curling already exists. What would make someone eligible for Jamaica? As you said, with you, it's your, your dad was born there. What is, what's the cutoff? What makes someone eligible for Jamaica versus not eligible? So, uh, the criteria is one born there, uh, two would be through descent as far back as two generations so a grandparent and three would be through marriage so those are your those are your three uh, components that would allow you to get citizenship and a passport um, so most of our team there's a few that were born there um, there's quite a few like myself that it's either a parent or a grandparent and i 
don't think we have any through marriage. But when I get my citizenship, my wife, she's an avid curler. So she's like, all right, I'll join. <laughs> and my daughter. So it doesn't matter. So you don't necessarily have to be married to someone who's a citizen. It can be someone who also has um, the same eligibility through a uh, descendant. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so the, the marriage component, yeah, obviously, as long as you have that passport and citizenship, then it could be your child, your grandchild, or your spouse would, or like that's the branch off the, of, of a person with citizenship and passport. And so like, if, if someone's listening to this and they think, oh, I think I might be eligible for Jamaica, how would they get in touch with you guys to confirm that and see about joining Curling Jamaica? So we, as it turns out, uh, we've got a brand new website and social media pages that are going to be launched either this week or next week. Um, so that's going to have, I, part of it was I wanted to make sure that we had everything right on the landing page that would answer questions as to okay. if you had any questions, just click on the email or phone or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, we'd be happy to guide somebody through if they wanted to get citizenship, if they if Obviously, they, they fall under the, the criteria. And uh, then how to get started. So. Okay. And so this fall is the first time that we're going to see Jamaica on the ice uh, officially in a WCF event. But you guys have been playing. Can you tell us about uh, the friendlies that you've been doing the last couple of years uh, there at the Unionville Curling Club? Yes. So, um, yeah, Ben... That's the home club uh, right now is, is Unionville. And so Ben's a member up there. And uh, I think it was last year he might have, there was a couple other guys, I, I guess, I don't know if they were members or whatnot. Uh, and he just said, what do you, you know, how about we just play a friendly? And, and uh, so there might have been Mexico and um uh, Portugal or Hong Kong, one of the two were, were there last year. This year we managed, uh, it's up to six countries in total. And um, so it, it, yeah, it just started out as just connections with different countries and uh, everybody, it just, that particular Sunday, it worked out well for them. And so we put together um, women's against men's or sorry, men against men, women against women, mixed doubles, mixed, and then there was a lot of mixing and matching just because we had uh, some extra players here and there. So it was just kind of a casual, <clears throat> casual day, um, as, as, as it's called, a friendly. So it was, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of neat to see um, so many new countries on the stage now that, uh, and so many people in and around Toronto that we we're able to get everybody together for this. So it looks like it's probably an event that will run um, – you know, continuously for the next foreseeable future. It's it, if it keeps growing, it's going to be basically a de facto developing nations championship almost. It sounds like. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, try and keep it maybe 2010 established and sooner. Now I think we had uh, Chinese Taipei and I think they're from 1998, but you know, you can, couple of smaller, essentially it's more the emerging countries, the ones that are sort of in the B pool is kind of uh, the ones that we're inviting just so they can sort of get a feel for, uh, I guess it's almost showcasing their talent and figuring out what they want to do for the next year. Mm. Yeah, that's why that's why I love what you guys created there in Unionville so much is is getting those countries together because to me it's uh you know it's exciting to see similar developing countries play each other like I thought one of the best things about uh the recent uh PanCon was you had Kenya play Nigeria in a WCF sanctioned event I thought that was the one of the most amazing things of the season yeah oh so true so true and and of the six countries that were at the friendlies, we were the only one that hasn't been on the world stage yet. So all the other ones had been there, but yeah, when, when you, you start to see, uh, you know, cross continent rivalries is, you know, it's, it's not like, or cross world, like, not like Scotland and Canada. I mean, I mean, you got Nigeria and Kenya and it, and your rivalries 
forming. That would, that's so awesome to see. And so what's the future for uh, curling Jamaica other than, other than the upcoming uh, WCF events? So, uh, I mean, like I said, the goal is obviously we've got some teams that are already, so we had our national championship. So we've just got the women's team in the, in the mixed doubles team right now. So um, the focus is we'll, once you get through December, unless one or both of the teams qualify for the, the worlds, um, then it's, you're back to your, your grassroots. So it'll be the focus of trying to get the structure in place that we can keep recruiting, um, keep moving forward with, with bringing athletes from Jamaica to, to Canada to train and, and uh, just keep trying to, to grow curling Jamaica. Well, good luck to you all this fall. Um, and please, uh, please, please keep us updated on uh, everything you guys have going on, including those those Unionville friendlies. Um, if anyone, you know, we've had plenty of people from developing countries on this show before. Maybe they're listening now. Like if they wanted to participate, how would they get in touch with you? So our uh, website is uh, www.curlingjamaica.com. So um, then we'll have um, Instagram, Twitter feed, uh, YouTube videos. Um, yeah, the whole, everything, many different ways. But as long as you remember Curling Jamaica, punch that into the internet and you'll find us. So we're, we're trying to make our website as user-friendly as possible and easily accessible for somebody who's new and, and uh um, yeah, one last thing I'd mention is the ultimate goal is we would have um, training in the U.S., training in the U.K., and training in Canada, just based on the fact that uh, there's uh, 2.2 million Jamaicans uh, throughout those three countries or three areas. Hmm. So you'd think we, we, we at some point, I think it's going to just explode where we're going to have a full slate of, of curlers but it's just getting the word out and convincing people that curling's the future this is what they should be doing <laughs> <laughs> all right well ian good luck to you good luck to your teams uh, and we look forward to uh, following the development of, of curling jamaica um, as you make your wcf debut this fall okay well thanks ryan and jonathan and uh yeah thanks for having curling jamaica on All right. Also joining us is Husani Blaze. And Husani, you are based in New York. Is that right? That is correct. Awesome. Well, the first question that we ask all of our guests kind of helps us get to know everybody is it's a pretty simple one. Just let us know where you're from and what was it like growing up there? Oh, man. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, but I grew up in a place called East Flatbush. And um, if people don't know anyone who's ever been to New York or hasn't been to New York, New York is probably one of the most segregated places you could live in. Um, and so everyone has their neighborhood and they only mix when they go to work. So I grew up in the Caribbean neighborhood, heavily Jamaican, but also other Caribbean islands, uh, but mostly a Jamaican neighborhood. Uh, so I would say I had a pretty Jamaican upbringing coming up. Wow. You know, um, yeah, like, like my first language is Patois. And then, you know, I learned English because I went to arts, you know, at a young age. So, you know, my first agent was like, you need to learn English. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so I went and learned, I learned English for that though. If it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. You know, kids ran around barefoot and <laughs> like, you know, we played football, you guys call it soccer, uh, you know, in the streets. And um, yeah, it was cool. I liked it though, because every, you know, Everyone in my neighborhood, they had houses. We all had houses. My parents, they owned their houses. Um, you know, uh, Caribbeans, especially the the ones who, like, try to come up here for, you know, a better life, chasing that American dream or just chasing the dream of uh, of something more, you know, they, they tend to really uh, apply themselves and kind of, you know, go for the highest that they can achieve. Okay. And are, are you first generation? So were your parents from Jamaica and came here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, I guess uh, the next question is just how did you get into curling? Curling, really funny. Um, curling, well, I was always an Olympics person. Okay. <laughs> I feel like people who follow me will be like, I've read this story 18 times. But <laughs> I was always an Olympics person, um, but mostly Summer Olympics, because that's always like the first one that, you know, as a kid you hear about, right? Especially as a Jamaican, you're just like, oh, look at us. Let's go watch us win, right? Yep. <laughs> In the track, exactly. right? We know track and field. We're going to win. Let's do that, right? <laughs> and so then eventually the natural course for me was to go to the winter olympics it's like what's this winter olympics thing like what are they doing right uh and so i started checking it out i didn't really care so much until like snowboarding got in when snowboarding got in i was like oh okay now i can get into this i freaking love snowboard cross i am like here for snowboard cross is one of my favorite winter uh sports to watch uh and so i just started like exploring other winter sports and just being surprised by how many different things white people can do in snow. I was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you guys are doing so many things. Um, and then I found speed skating, which is cool. And I liked speed skating. So I'd watch speed skating. And then Shawnee Davis mm -hmm. got in. He's uh, one of the first uh, black uh, gold medalists, I think, in any winter sport. Yep. Uh, and he was in long track speed skating yep and so when he got on the ice that was the first time that it struck me out of this whole time i'm just like oh, there's no black people in this <laughs> like it just hit me in a, in a i guess another way because i can't say i never noticed but it just hit me in a way that was more cognizant like oh whoa wait i always wanted to be in the olympics but my hang-up was my parents didn't put me in anything so it's too late Right, I was yep. there like at 13. I was like, oh, it's too late for me to go to Olympics. I, you know, these kids started at like five, right? And like, I, I'm past it, right? It's too late. I'll never catch up, right? So that was always something I always told myself when I was watching Olympics. Then I'm watching the Winter Olympics. And I guess when I saw Shawnee on the ice, I was like, man, it would really be cool to have more, you know, um, more black people in winter sports, you know, doing things. And that was the first kernel, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? I was just like thinking that. I was just like, okay, that would be cool. So then what happens was, uh, fast forward a couple years later, in 2010, I hurt myself. Uh, basketball injury, I hurt myself. And so I'm laid up. And it just happens to be the week before the Winter Olympics. So that was like the first time that I had to, that I got to check out all the sports, mm -hmm. right? I would usually stick to my favorites, the snowboarding, the cross, the slalom, you know, yeah. the, the the high jump. I would skip to my, my favorite ones, the definitely the long track, short track speed skating. But then I was there and I was like, I can't go anywhere or do anything. I'm off of work for injury. So I'm just gonna watch every single winter sport there is. And so I just went down the line watching at least one competition of every sport. Mm -hmm. And awesome. then I found curling. And I was like, what's this freaking thing that takes up the most channels out of every sport? <laughs> I never watched it. It takes up like eight channels, right? It's like MSN, NBC, CBNBC. It's like it's on eight channels. I'm just like, what is this thing? So like, I finally like watch it. And I'm like, I don't get it. They're just throwing heavy things. Like, wait, wait, yeah, I gotta understand. Like, what are they doing, right? And But, but, but I keep watching because I'm determined. I'm like, look, I'm going to at least have a baseline understanding of most of these sports. And I'm watching, I'm trying to understand it. And then the announcer comes on. They're really good at like explaining what's happening. And the announcer comes on and was like, yeah, so this is really like chess on ice. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, chess on, huh? And then, so then I started watching from that perspective and then it became really interesting. And then I kept going and then it became super interesting because I was just like, yo, you got to think. But then another thing that caught my imagination was I was watching the players and I was like, wait a minute, this is not like any other sport I've seen in the Olympics. So I, of course, being a child of the Internet, like I go online and I start Googling the average age of the freaking Olympian is like 42. <laughs> I was like, what? They're like 42, 43. Some guys like 49. I think there was one at the time that was like 52. And it was like, not a big deal. They were just like, this is what you do. And I'm just like, you can be 52 in the Olympics. I never heard it. I didn't even knew, right? 
I knew you could have that outlier person who was like, they've been on their eighth Olympic and they're from a country where there's only six Olympians in there, one of them. And, you know, they're never going to medal, but we just like to participation award. Yeah. And I, I don't really, that's nice, but like, that was never like, but this was the first time where I'm watching these guys, they're 45 talking about, we're going for the gold. And I'm just like, wait a minute, wait, say what? <laughs> right. And I think the women's team that year, I think it was the Swedish women's team. Yeah. And they were like in their 40s and they won the gold medal. And I had never heard of that in my life. I never knew you could be over 40 and win an Olympic medal in any sport. right? So then that little kernel came in. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what if it's not too late? <laughs> I was like, what if, it's, what if it's not too late to start something? But I, I let it like sit, you know, just little, little things. I let it sit there and I was like, okay, if I ever get the chance to try that, it would be really cool. And and I think I looked, but there was nowhere in New York to try curling at all. And I just kind of let it go there. But I kept watching it, kept watching it like every four years. And then sometimes in between I would watch it. And I just like, what is that? over the years, I just fell more and more in love with it. And, and then finally, I think, uh, I think it was 2018. We're in 2023 now. God, it's so like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the last Olympics before this one was 2018, right? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So then it was that one. The year of 2018, my girlfriend at the time, like, like knew. She's like, oh, okay. Winter Olympics time, it's curling, and, like, I'm not going to see this man. She, see, she knows it's curling time. And so at the end, she buys me a ticket for a learn to curl for my birthday because my birthday is in February. And so she buys me a ticket and she's like, here, I, I got you one go. That's kind of intimidating now because I've been watching this thing for like eight years. <laughs> it's like, if I don't actually know how to do it, I'm going to break my heart. Right? <laughs> now you've got to actually start your Olympic journey. Yeah, but, but still. But still, at the time, I wasn't really, you know, it's like a thing where it's just like, it's a thing in the back, but it's not a thing where I'm like, let's do it. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, that would be cool. And well, I've, I got time to maybe like play around with it if I want. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the career that I'm on right now. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to career hop before I mm-hmm. got, you know, what, what I'm doing right now on solid ground. So it's just, I'm not taking, you know, whatever. Like, I didn't start when I'm 13. Yeah, I was like, I, was like, I gotta start when I'm 20-something. Like, whatever, right? <laughs> so then I go to the Learn to Curl, and I get on the ice, and I touch the rocks, and I'm listening to them. And, of course, I've been watching this for freaking eight years, so, like, things start to seep in, right? And I'm doing it, and we, like, play a little mock game at the end of it, and my team wins, and they had me, like, Everyone's a newbie, so no one knows what they're doing. But like the, the, the coaches are there, and then they had me skip. So I'm like, all right, cool. So then I <laughs> skip for this team of you know all first timers, and then we win, right? And and we win because I like I throw one of the only stones that scores because I'm the skip and it's the last one. And everyone's like, <laughs> and then they're like, what do you think? And I'm just like, oh, I'm hooked. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not bad. I'm actually better than I thought I'd be. I'm better than these people thought I'd be. They're like, yeah, so you've played before, right? I was like, I promise you, I have never, ever touched this <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and they're like, you really, like, look like you've at least taken one class before. Like, obviously, like, I don't look like I know how to play because, like, I got no balance on the ice and I'm like, rolling. But they're, <laughs> but they're like, for people who have never done this before, like, you kind of look like you, like, took it a while ago and stopped. And I was like, no, only my brain. In my sleep, I took it. Like, I've never done this. And so I was like, that's encouraging. And so I went to some meeting and then I like joined like the very next season. So I think I answered way more than your question. No, that's the, those are the kind of stories I love, man. Cause you see like every four years, you'll see that you'll see a few for a few people, like it really just catches them once they like, even more so when they get on the ice and they realize that this sport is even better than just watching it on TV. Yeah. Like these are the kind of stories 
that I absolutely love to hear. So how how is your how has your curling journey been the last five years? Like obviously obviously some things happened that kind of delayed <laughs> uh, most places. Uh, but other than that, like how have you, how have you felt that your curling journey has progressed uh, here in its infancy? I will tell you that I tell my friends because every time I tell my friends, especially like Caribbean friends or whatever, and they're like. Oh, what are you doing? Or I'm like, I'm somewhere and I'm like, oh, I got to go. And they're like, what? It's like, I got to do some stuff, you know, for my board meeting that's coming up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're just like, board, you're on a board? That's cool. Like, what company? And I was like, oh, you know, I started the Curling Federation. They're like, they're like, what? Curling Federation? Like, who's you curling? <laughs> like, the thing with the brooms? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I, yeah, I am doing that. And, and I tell certain people, they're like, how you, I'm just like, yo, there's nothing like being black in a white dominant sports that wants to prove that they're not racist. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> I make jokes about it because I'm just like, look, there are, there are freaking Americans who have been training curling since they were like six. <laughs> like, I'm like four years in and they're talking about you're going to play Taiwan. I'm like, what are you, you realize? <laughs> This probably should not be allowed, <laughs> but I am going to show up and do it. <laughs> so it has been pretty amazing. That being said, I'm a go hard. <laughs> so I can say that and make jokes, but the reality is, is that I'm a go hard uh, and I'm a bit of a megalo. And I know that now. <laughs> myself. So like, I put in the time on the ice because once I started and I knew I was going to get good or I, or people told me I was good and I'm watching other people's response to me, by the third month of playing, I was like, so you know you're going to the Olympics, right? <laughs> As like, I had this conversation with myself. I was like, you know you're going to go to the Olympics. And I'm just like, look, we can't do another thing like we need hobbies that stay hobbies. And it's just like, you, you've come too far. <laughs> it's like, you've come too far. You have a straight shot. You're going to go to Olympics. But I was like, okay, fine. But now my plan was, because I was trying to be realistic. I was like, all right, this is fine. I'll do it. I'm 20 something. When I'm like 40, I'll go to the Olympics. It'll be cool. I'll have 10 years of curling under my belt, like more than more than 10 years of curling under my belt, right? I'll try to go in the late 30s, right? And I'll be in my prime. Like, that was my plan. So I was like, I'll just be practicing and getting ready for that, right? That's my, That was my thing. I was like, I'm giving myself time to do that. And I remember the president of our association. This is when it hit me like, oh, that might not happen, right? Like, the president of our club, he noticed that I was there all the time. So, yeah. So the, the president of our curling um, club, Lakeside Curling Club, um, I he because you have a thing where you have your team, right? Mm-hmm. But then you can do subs, right? Mm-hmm. If you're available, you can sub for other teams. And there's like four, one, two, three, like four, four league games a week or something, right? So I signed up for one game. And then I'm on the sub list for every other game. So like I'm showing up every single curling session to curl. <laughs> and so like by like December, he's like, you're a first timer. I'm like, yeah, he's like, you're here every session, every session. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go to the Olympics someday. And he's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, keep practicing. You're going to do it. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm going to go to the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like he's like you know it's pretty competitive to to make it to curling in america like why do you seem so sure i was like america why would i do that no 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 no, no. i'm gonna go play for jamaica and he's just like oh my god you're going to the olympics and i was like wait, wait, wait what are you talking about <laughs> i was like slow down bro what are you talking about? Like, you just see like that i've never seen you know like you spend your life like believing yourself and telling people right but then few people like believe you or they give you like his initial reaction of, oh, that's fun, right? But then when I said Jamaica, his eyes just changed and his face dropped. And he was just like, oh, 
you are going to the Olympics. <laughs> and he did. He said it in such a way that made me go, well, what do you mean? And he's like, I've got someone to call. You're going to talk to this person. I'm going to give you this person. What's your number? Give me that. Give me that. Within two days, he's hooking me up with this guy, hooks me up with this guy, hooks me up with these other people. Then I'm talking to these Jamaicans in Canada who've been trying to do a league. And now we're getting, and they're like, how far are you? And it's like, bro, I just told someone yesterday. I don't even know why I'm on the phone with you people. Slow <laughs> down. And so, yeah, like within like, I don't know, two or three months of telling him, then I'm like talking to these people about making a board, about, Oh, we got to do a federation. I'm like, yeah, we got to make a federation. We got to do all this stuff. And I know all that. But I'm like, yeah, it's going to take time to do that. We got time. Be like, I'm not like, I'm not mm-hmm. on some unrealistic timetable. But for some reason in the world of curling, you can have unrealistic timetables <laughs> and it actually happens. <laughs> so by my like second year of curling, a pandemic hits, right? And we have to stop curling and then people are bored, but they're still ambitious. So somehow by my third year of curling, I found myself on a board starting Dedicated Ice in Brooklyn, talking to these people in Canada. And then the following year, incorporating a curling federation for a country that's never had a curling federation and doesn't even have ice. (laughs) (laughs) People are like... How did you do that? And I was like, I curled while being black. <laughs> that is what I did. <laughs> and having citizenship in another country. <laughs> but also, like, you know, I mean, the other people would tell you that, like, I accelerated pretty fast, you know? Like, I put in uh, time. I'm not going to say how much ice time I put in because I might get in trouble, but I put in, easily I know I put in more ice time than anybody else in the five boroughs like during the season. But I mean, between that and your passion, I mean, that's all, it's obvious why you've been able to do what you've been able to do. Yeah. Putting in the time and having that much passion, that's going to, that's going to do it. Yeah. And then he gave me the best thing. He was just like, look, I'm going to give you a job here, you know, to be equipment manager. And then it was great because then I got to show up early, mm-hmm. you know, set up the ice and play on the ice. And then I got to stay late because I'm the person who, who sets down, you know, the equipment. So I'll take extra slides before I break it all down. <laughs> you know, so like all my little extra little things, you know, I can do it. But man, I pissed, I pissed people off in the beginning, man. <laughs> I pissed people off because I didn't know any rules or etiquette. All I knew was I got to get better. 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 That's how you got hooked up with Curling Jamaica. Since then, um, have you have you been able to play with them? I have, yeah. The first time the first time we played together was actually uh, December, this past December. That was the first time I ever played with them. And then we played again in March. And that was mostly because of the whole pandemic thing. Like mm-hmm. Canada shut their borders, so I yep. uh, couldn't go up there or do anything. Otherwise, I definitely would have met them earlier. So this is actually the first curling season the one that just happened is the first curling season since corona where their borders were open and i could go up there and you got to play in um in what in the friendlies that they had with the other uh with the other countries up in ontario yeah yeah, yeah. so we had a there's a friendly uh friendly at a bond spiel where team jamaica played and i played uh in that and that was intimidating oh i didn't tell you the best part it's intimidating because this whole time i'm playing on outdoor ice yep so i don't even have curling shoes bro oh, no. <laughs> i don't have curling shoes i've got the slip on slider and i'm making it work so now i go up to toronto and they're like do you have curling shoes and i'm like no and they're just like yeah you you, you can't do that we're gonna yeah. give you shoes so like so like if someone else had an extra pair of shoes that they never used they're just like we bought it I tried it on, it didn't work, but we had the same shoe size. So he's like, here, take these because I'm never going to use them. I'm just going to throw them away. Uh, so I got his curling shoes. But now here's the here's the thing. I got to step on dedicated ice for the first time in my life. Like there, we had plans for me to go to dedicated ice, but Corona killed all those plans, right? And then since then, the opportunity just didn't happen. So now my first time on dedicated ice is in Canada at a competition for a national team yep. <laughs> versus wow. Canadians whose freaking 
eight-year-old junior curlers are probably better than me, right? Because it's Canada, right? So I'm just like, this isn't intimidating at all. But I'm like, all right, we're just going to go up and see what happens. So then I go up there and I'm like really kind of like nervous about the dedicated ice because you, you hear stories the whole entire time I'm, I'm curling. They're just like, yeah, dedicated ice is so much faster. Like it's so much faster. Yeah. Uh, I would say that luckily my training, my training held out. The training I've been doing, like mentally trying to like do things to make it simulate the speed mm-hmm. and like false falls and stuff that I would do just to make sure I was falling correctly if it did happen so I didn't hurt myself on the first fall. Like I was doing all these other little training things to try to prepare myself as much as I could before I got on this ice because I knew I wasn't gonna have time. It was like you got two or three slides and then you gotta play. You know, which is not enough time to acclimate to freaking dedicated ice at all, right? But I was just like, Okay, this is how they do in curling. So I guess I'll just like I don't know, try not to kill myself. And I stepped on the ice and it's like weird, right? Cause you can see right through it. I'm just like, <laughs> I can see everything, all the mechanisms to make this ice. I was like, is this safe? I am not used to this. <laughs> all the while I'm trying not to look the odd man out, right? Cause there's like, like maybe like three black people in the whole freaking thing. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, I don't want to look like the freaking newbie, but look, I am the newbie. I don't know what I'm doing. How do you think you did? I think I did well because after like the first five minutes of like, I would say even three minutes of like acclimating to it. And then of course acclimating to the shoes because I never wore shoes before. Um, so it was a double acclimation. Most of the most of the oddness of it is when you're standing. When I crouched down in the hack, it all made sense. I was like, oh, okay. When you're crouching, your center of gravity is lower. Your risk of slipping is is a lot less. And then all you got to worry about is holding your position in the slide. And I had been drilling the hell out of that. So Mm -hmm. even on dedicated ice, obviously there's a little bit of a wobble, but I had my form, you know? And so after the first slide, when I realized that I was like, oh, it's not so bad. And that's like due to like, I had some really great people in my club, like just coaching me and giving me pointers and helping me out. And then of course, YouTube, learn to curl with Jamie. Shout out to Jamie. <laughs> she is my coach. She doesn't even know it. Shout out to Jamie. All right. So what's the what's the future for you and curling Jamaica? I know that I think what Jamaica is going to participate in its first WCF competitions coming up this fall. What's what's what are things going to be like for Jamaica and for you uh, coming up this next season? Well, that is the plan. You know, that is the plan. Um, Uh, obviously you want to compete in the tournaments that you just mentioned. Uh, We're looking at some other things that we could possibly uh, get into uh, to kind of uh, make ourselves known and put ourselves out there, you know, on the world stage, because a lot of people don't even know Jamaica has a curling team. Uh, A lot of look has been going into development, you know, because a lot of the people on our team are on the older side, which is not a disadvantage in curling. I freaking love it. Right. Um, but obviously now that we started the Federation, we got to look towards what's happening after, right? After like these guys have their runs, um, I'm coming in, you know, as one of the younger members, but then we got to have other people, you know, like underneath me or even with me, (laughs) you know, to kind of like carry it on. So it doesn't just stop with us. And then we had a a meeting with the, the, um, Jamaican Olympic Association, which is, (laughs) I'm just on this meeting. I'm like. I'm talking to an Olympic Association. I just stepped on dedicated ice for the first time five months ago. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, why am I on this call? Okay, but <laughs> then you get over that. And um, and they're excited, you know, and I like that. Their enthusiasm about being like, yeah, you know, we we need more winter Olympic sports. Like, it's great that, you know, you guys are doing this and getting things together. And, you know, we want to support you guys and, you know they're obviously going to help us with the with the um, with the cup uh, and stuff. So it's it's cool to have the support of your Olympic Association behind you because you know you can't do anything without that, right? <laughs> they don't like sign the paperwork and whatever. You're dead in the water. So it's kind of cool to have the president of that association, like not only taking the time to have a meeting with you guys, but you know express that support and express that excitement about it. 
but there's a lot of talk in the back end against making sure that we build this out as something that's going to outlast us and not something that's just going to be a vehicle for us. And then once we stop driving, I guess it's just going to be in the parking lot. You know, that's that's like a, a main thing that we're, we're really looking at and being focused on. All right. And then uh, finally, just tell us about the uh, the Brooklyn Curling Center and the work that you're doing to bring indoor curling to to Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, that other company. <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn Brooklyn Curling Center. Big ups. Boop, boop. Um, definitely. Yeah. So, like I said before, we haven't had indoor ice uh, in New York in something like a hundred years or more, or something like that. And there's been some plans in other places um, to try to do it, but they all just usually fall apart. Um, so. Or the people who are behind them, they end up leaving New York and going somewhere else. Uh, and so during the pandemic, myself, four of the guys, all members of um, Lakeside Curling Club in Brooklyn. If you're in New York and you don't know where there's a curling club uh, at or curling place, Lakeside Curling Center, we're in Prospect Park. You can look us up online or just come down in the winter. November's safe. We're usually down there. Uh, and, you know, we can hook you up with that. So that's just my little shout out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so for for others and myself, we got together uh, and we were like, yo, man, we um, we need ice. You know, like, why don't we have ice? This is New York City. We could definitely like uh, uh, facilitate uh, and uh, keep, you know, a facility running uh, if we do it the right way. And so we just started brainstorming and then talking turned into meeting and then meeting turned into like organizing. And then when the pandemic hit, it was just like, well everyone's now kind of out of work um we can't curl and we're kind of sad about it what do we do and it's just like let's just take this thing seriously and like go ham on it see as how far we can go um and we went pretty far you know i say we went all the way you know got plans got the financial plans together got you know rough drafts together we toured some facilities some spaces that we were interested in at the time but they didn't meet all the requirements it's it, the requirements for a curling place are very, very specific, yep. you know, at least one that people want to go to. It's been more about getting a, a place that's going to capitalize on the experience, the experience that we want to bring, because we do want to bring something new uh, to curling. We want to bring something that is not prevalent in a lot of curling clubs around the nation. And we are poised to do that because we're in New York. Right. Um, and then we obviously have the ability to have one of the most diverse curling clubs in the nation just because of our location. Um, but also because of me and other people on the board, because you could easily open up a curling place in New York and just only have white people and no one would ever know or care. It's really not hard. <laughs> it's not hard to have anything segregated in New York at all. It takes no effort. It takes more effort to actually integrate things in New York. The only difference about New York is that you know that the people are there, right? But now getting them there now is the thing. If you don't put it in the right location, You'll get one set of people, and that's it. Hmm. Yeah. What are, What do you guys need next, and uh, how can how can people help uh, the Brooklyn Curling Center? Uh, go to the website. I think now it's like uh, Brooklyn Curling because we changed it. <laughs> I think it's BrooklynCurling.com. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's it. But if you Google it, Brooklyn Curling, uh, the website will come up. The new website will come up, uh, and you can go on there. We we've got like general information uh some uh, artwork of what uh of one of the mock-ups that we like that the curling center could look at look like based upon one of the buildings that we that we looked at um and of course the you know general information the board members yada, yada, yada. uh so i guess the first thing is go on that site familiarize yourself with it you know and if you have something whether it be you know connection to you know big spenders or ideas that you think would be cool for the curling center something that you would like to see in curling centers because you visit visited other curling centers before and you've never seen it before. By all means, email us, you know, with ideas because this is the, this is the time now to have your suggestions heard. Um, other than that, the biggest thing that we're looking for, obviously, is investors, right? Because you know, money makes it work. You know, um, so you know, we're out there doing our thing to get them, you know, try to get them to bite the hook, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Any people who know who really love curling and want to invest in something and get some cool perks plus a good return on investment, you can just send them our way. 
right, Husani, this was an absolute blast. This is one of my favorite interviews that I've done. Oh, wow. Thanks. And if, <laughs> uh, if you're ever at a bond spiel and you need someone to play front end for you, give me a call. Okay. Nice. Where are you located at? I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you're down there. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do more bond spiels. So, like, you yeah, do, man. I'll, I'll look for Richmond and see if I can get a reason to come down. Uh, we're also on skating ice, so we're not hosting anything anytime soon. Ah, okay. So we got to find something in between. Yeah, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of our members uh, go up there to like Utica and Poughkeepsie to to spiels up there. Okay, like Plainsville. Uh, no, like in like north of north of north New, New York. York. Yeah, yeah. So like probably north of north of Arsley. I think Arsley's yeah where a lot of people down here go. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, it was good talking to you and uh, good luck in the future. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.